Hey, this is Rob Thompson. You're listening to Interview with Influencers. Today, I got Mike Voida, Inertia Partners. How are you doing today, buddy? Good, Rob. How are you? Fantastic. So I got it right then. I got the name right. I got the company name right. You got it right. right. You got it right. Yeah, first day of school for me was always a bit of a traumatic day, but I knew when the teacher (laughs) got to Thompson and then to the V and he he or she kind of hesitated, I just... I always help them out. So Voida, yep. Very good. It's like we practice that before we get on this thing, right? It's yeah. like we practice. Oh, that's that's fantastic. All right. So you got a lot to talk about here, mister, you know, and I I want you to start from the beginning. I want you to really talk about start off where you're from. Where you're from and just kind of, you know, your hometown and just you could skip around a little bit, but go from there because it all this all matters. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, born and raised in uh, Braintree, Massachusetts, just south of uh, Boston, and uh, avid, you know, sports person. Played a lot of sports when I was young, and uh, went to college in New Hampshire, a small school called Plymouth State. Uh, best known for a running back that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated in the mid '80s, uh, Joe Dudek. Uh, oh yeah. Probably a claim to fame. And um, at the time, I uh, was a business major, marketing major, wasn't real sure what exactly I wanted to do. And I had an older brother who um, ended up um, moving down to Florida to be a tournament director for a Champions Tour event uh, in Naples, Florida. That's, I believe, still going on at this point. And this was quite a while ago. And that kind of piqued my interest, you know, as a sports enthusiast and someone who's majoring in uh, business and marketing, I, you know, figured out that there was actually this thing called sports marketing. And, uh, you know, it was really of interest to me. And I had an opportunity uh, through my brother to, uh, upon graduation, uh, I ended up moving down to Florida, uh, packed everything I owned in my car and drove from uh, Massachusetts to Florida and was only guaranteed a couple weeks of work on this uh, tournament. And, um, was able to um, parlay those two weeks into meeting some folks at the PGA Tour and meeting a few other folks that were uh, involved in another golf event, a PGA event up in Columbus, Georgia, the Buick Southern Open. And at the time, the uh, Olympics had just been awarded to Atlanta. So uh, I put my thinking cap on and figured, okay, I've already done one move uh, by myself, not knowing a soul uh, other than my obviously my family. Um, I'm going to go to Atlanta and uh, see what I can do, and I uh, did that. So I ended up um, working on the Buick Southern Open, felt I had enough experience, I guess, at the time to um, then go to Atlanta and uh, see what I could do. Um, so now that I, you know, I think about it, you know, it, I guess it wasn't a big deal to me, but, you know, part, you know, putting everything into my car and, and not knowing anyone in Atlanta. I remember driving, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember driving up uh, the connector in Atlanta, pulling off and uh, going to an apartment finding uh, place and uh, literally going in there and trying to find a, a place to live and meeting a complete stranger and moving in with them. So uh, that's kind of how I started. Um, it was kind of a, you know, a, a, an eye opener that, you know, my brother was, Sort of in the industry in a sense and it was something I, that was of interest to me um so 
really, you know, Atlanta has become home. Um, I've been here quite a while. Uh, I can tell you that um, the time that I first moved to Atlanta, um, I basically did probably what a lot of young young folks do. Uh, I got into a couple internships. One was uh, with a semi-pro basketball team uh, in, in the United States-based basketball league, the USBL, which I do not think is still around. Maybe they are. Uh, and the other was with a, uh, an agency, an event management agency in the uh, pro cycling uh, discipline uh, that ran a uh, pro cycling event here in Atlanta uh, that was sponsored by uh, First Union National Bank. And um, that was really a great opportunity for me. And uh, once those two internships uh, ended, I was fortunate enough to get a full-time job with uh, the company that was doing uh, these pro cycling events called um, Sports and Company. Um, and they were out of Connecticut and ran a number of uh, what we call classic races. So um, one-day events, um, a, a tour of Virginia that uh, Kmart sponsored and um, back in the days when um, Lance Armstrong wasn't even a pro uh, and was fortunate enough to have a cool picture with uh, Lance and uh, Greg LeMond, uh, I guess at the time, uh, the only two Tour de France winners. So that was the start. That was the, uh, the start of uh, my career in this crazy business. And then when did you jump over to streetball? I jumped over to streetball after two, three years uh, running this event uh, here in Atlanta. Um, was presented with an opportunity. Streetball was growing uh, from its uh, hoop it up days to similar grassroots programs uh, with all the four major sports leagues, and they were looking for an event director. Uh, they had 16 events for a new inline and street hockey tour called NHL Breakout, and I was fortunate enough to get hired as one of the two event directors, and I ended up moving to uh, Dallas, Texas in February of 96. Do you think everything that led up to that point uh, with event management had, was that the, was that the difference maker for you when you, when you got to street ball as far as your skill sets and your experience? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the cycling event, if you can imagine, you know, in my early 20s, uh, you know, we closed eight miles of city streets in the city, uh, you know, in a major city. Um, I was meeting with, um, you know, the mayor uh, on a daily basis. Well, not a daily basis, but, on, you know, I was meeting with, you know, special events arm of the city, uh, working with, you know, C-suite folks uh, at the bank. Um and even though it was a one-day race, there was a number of ancillary programs that were around it. Um, so it was really a you know a year-round position. And then once our event was over in Atlanta, I would go then and support colleagues who were running um, just as big, if not bigger, events in Philadelphia, uh, Minneapolis, West Virginia, um, New Jersey, and, and other major markets. So yeah, that 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 definitely you know gave gave me the, the confidence and the confidence to, you know, to probably show them that, uh, you know, running eight events um, was something that was uh, definitely doable. So talk a lot, talk a little bit about, you know, Streetball Partners, um, because it's definitely a business that was huge back in our day, um, but you don't see it as much anymore. I mean, Hoop It Up is still around, but 
some of the other properties aren't, you know, NHL breakout, because I think when experiential marketing and mass participation before, you know, all the big ones like, um, what is it now? A warrior dash is a warrior dash, tough mutter. Yeah. yeah, Tough mutter. When all before those, um, became popular, the things in the eighties and nineties was the properties were definitely hoop it up and NFL air it out. And, you know, NHL breakout. So talk a little bit about those properties. Yeah, I mean, Streetball Partners was really um, a catalyst for a lot of people that many people probably know that are, you know, in, in great positions in the, in the sports marketing uh, and marketing world right now. But Streetball was, um, you know, was a company, it was an idea um, started by Terry Murphy. Uh, he was trying to raise money. He was working at uh, D Magazine, which is like an entertainment magazine. Uh, he was the editor there, and he uh, wanted to do an event. You know, he played college basketball in California, and he wanted to do a fundraiser for the Special Olympics of Dallas, and he came up with this idea to do a three-on-three basketball tournament. Um, that tournament um, was done in uh, Dallas, and it grew and grew and grew and caught the eye of the NBA, and back then, a lot of the leagues were looking for ways to stay top of mind, both in season, but more importantly, off season, um, and be able to give their corporate partners more of a year round play. And uh, really a lot of the, a lot of the stars aligned at that point and uh, hoop it up became really a catalyst for all the other major sports leagues to do something similar. So at the time in the early nineties, you know, hoop it up was the engine and it always was the engine. But when I came on board, um, you know, there was the NFL did NFL Arida, which was a uh, flag football tour. Uh, the NHL was doing an inline and street hockey tour, kind of taking um, aim at the uh, heightened uh, excitement of like the inline and skate inline skating business back in the mid nineties. Uh, Major League Baseball did a yard ball event, which, kind of, which was uh, a wiffle ball tour, and, and on and on. Uh, there was a soccer event, there was there was golf, there was uh, volleyball. Really, though, I think the the key to street ball was Terry is what he really laid the foundation, and then you know the, the folks that were there, uh, folks like myself and and you know others that came in, we really got. Um, an extraordinary, extraordinary opportunity to learn on the go. Um, and, you know, as you can imagine, you know, someone in their, you know, beginnings of their career, I was, you know, I was managing a two and a half million dollar budget, working with one of the four major sport leagues. We were doing, you know, Breakout Alone was, you know, a 22 event year long series, um, you know, 3,000 to 6,000 participants, you know, 10 times that in, in folks coming. Hoop It Up was, was massive. Uh, it was, you know, had, an, had, I believe, over 40 or 50 events per year. We had so many events that they, every NBA market had an event, and then non-NBA markets didn't have an, had events, and then it went international along with Major League Baseball. So streetball was really the impetus for mass participatory grassroots marketing. So um, 
you know, you can imagine the brands that were, you know, tied to it. You know, we worked with a who's who of brands, you know, Gatorade, Nike, IBM, um, you know, anyone and everyone who was looking to cash into that demographic came on board. I mean, we were fortunate with NHL Breakout that um, a lot of their corporate partners, um, you know, for instance, Dodge would come on board as a, as a partner of the NHL and, you know, a portion of their multi-million dollar partnership would go to, you know, Breakout and there would be a whole nother, you know, programming and sponsorship strategy and implementation throughout the summer when there was no hockey, but we were keeping it top of mind and it, you know, we were able to drive that back to, to, to sponsors and to brands. So I can't say enough about the education that I and dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds of other people got working um, for Terry and at Streetball. It, it really was um, the best thing I could have done um, for my career and to really, you know, what I still say today um, with a lot of my streetball folks is we really felt that we did it the right way and, um, you know, we got it. You know, we, we understood it and it was taught to us on how to, you know, how to work with everyone from the Portageon vendor to the chief marketing officer of a major brand to C-suited sports leagues and everyone in between. And it was uh, an invaluable experience. So now hoop it up, three out three basketball is an Olympic sport, you know, and um, do you see, do you see that type of business model coming back? Do you see the leagues kind of focusing back in on that again? Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, I've thought about it and I, I just wonder about this day and age with all of the different things that take up someone's weekend, right? I mean, our, our audience was fairly wide. I mean, you know, for breakout and for all of the, all of the league, you know, all of the, all of the programs. I mean, we had an eight and under division and we had a 20 and older division and, you know, everything on in between. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I know that's not, not a solid answer. I'm just, I think the concern for me is there's just so much more to keep someone's attention. Um, this day and age and the weekends and, you know, as a, as a father now, uh, you know, going and spend an entire weekend, you know, playing basketball um, as much as I would love to do that. Uh, I just don't know from a time standpoint uh, and I may not be the right demographic. So, um, you know, from a younger set, uh, maybe, I mean, I hate to be, I hate to not give you a solid answer either way, but I, I just, it's a whole different time. It's just a whole different time, and there's so many, you know, I think I see the success of, you know, uh, Tough Mudder, and I see the success of, uh, you know, those obstacle races, and I want to say yes, but, um, you know, I think it's an interesting question. You know, the one thing that we found out, and I I won't hold that against you. You I don't minus any points off of that answer, so don't worry about that. All right, I appreciate that. Yeah. You know what we found when we were running Hoop It Up was that, and a lot of the guys that have been around it for a while said that the decline definitely happened when the NBA took its name off of it. Um, And then the second part was uh, when AAU basketball became what it is today, you know, and – you know, and plus you didn't have ki- you don't have kids growing up playing basketball in the streets anymore. You know, yeah, so that whole. I mean, Go ahead. Yeah, you, no, I, I 
I completely agree. It's, it's, it's you know, you've got E-League, you have um, Top Golf, you have, you know, I mean, you have all sorts of um, other options per se. But um, yeah, to your point, we were blessed because all the major sports leagues were were fully vested, and it, it legitimized it legitimized everything that we did. You know, when we went to L.A. and did our event in Santa Monica, you know, Rob Blake and a bunch of L.A. Kings were there because, you know, it was a Kings event, per se, you know, and it was a Rangers event, and it was a, you know, Blackhawks event whenever we were in those cities. So, uh, um, yeah, it's a good point. Timing. Timing is everything. So, so let's talk about your business now. So, you know, let's talk about where you are and, and all the experiences that you had up to this point and you saw, you know, the need in the marketplace still. Do you see um, the trans? Maybe this is two point two part question for you. So talk about that part, but I really want you to answer this one first. Do you see brands swinging back to the experiential side of their business again where it kind of softened up a little bit? Um, and they started putting a lot of resources to digital. And do you see them now kind of going back to that Mabel behind the table, you know, sampling data capture on site? Is that is that swinging back that way again? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I, I you know, I see, you know, what I see in people's lives is uh, yeah, they're trying to delete a lot of the advertising they get in their lives, right? And um, in order to do that, and in order for brands to kind of remain visible and relevant, um, they're swinging and looking a lot harder uh, and really putting into their marketing budgets experiential and live experience programs. I mean, it's really the only place you can kind of have that physical interaction with the product directly from the brand. Uh, and it's also one of the few places where you can kind of have an open-ended dialogue with, with your potential consumers. So, um, that's not to say that the digital piece is not super important because it is. It's just I've always felt that they coexist beautifully. I mean, I think, you know, brands are always saying, you know, data and measurement um, and the digital side of things, given what we have today, you know, provides that. You know, I think, um, you know, the data piece is just becoming a lot more central and for, you know, experiential marketers and, um they're happy because they have more data to make more informed decisions. So um, I do think it's important. I mean, imagine, you know, or just, you know, what you and I see every single day, right, on our phones, on the TV, on wherever, wherever we're getting our content and news, it's overwhelming. And I, I think an authentic live experience that, uh, um, you know, gives marketers the opportunity um, to get direct feedback and kind of grow a relationship um, is important. And I think the digital side of it provides you the scale and the amplification. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's real important uh, from a marketer standpoint that that's a big part of their marketing, marketing mix. And I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, studies that are um, mentioning, you know, allocating you know 20 to 50 percent of their budgets to brand experiences over the next three to five years which is exciting for us um and i think uh it's exciting for for the market and for anyone in the experiential and uh, brand activation uh business 
Two out of three. Here's some fun facts for you, Mike. Two out of three marriages today start online with an online connection. Two out of three, which is incredible. But I will and, uh, I will interject there for a second, Rob, and let you know that I met my wife on Match.com. There you have it. However, right? It's it's and this is this this was the and congratulations by the way on that one. And then um, this is the great example I heard from uh, you may you may have worked with him before um way back when doug kimmel um i know doug very very well and we'll be talking and seeing him tomorrow uh in new york good perfect perfect doug doug is a great guy i know doug really well as well and doug and have doug tell you this story um he gave an example one time about experiential marketing of you know yes digital is important but you don't make that connection he, he explains it as it's kind of like online dating. You know, you don't ever make a connection really with that brand, that, that relationship until you meet that person. So you can have that whole relationship online in the digital space, but until you make that personal connection one-on-one, that's why those two go together. You're teeing it up, you're building a relationship until you get that product in your hand or you see that experience, you know, that experience on site that's when you really will make the um, connection to, you know, to the brand. So have that. Doug will tell the story a little bit better than I just did. I, I completely blew it, but it was, it's the point of, you know, Mabel behind the table, hands you the, you know, the cracker with the cheese on it. The, the product is right there. You're going to buy it, you know, and it's yeah, the same I mean, thing. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head as, as did Doug. I mean, I think, you know, people do business uh, with people that they like and trust, right? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, same could be said for, uh, from a brand standpoint, from a consideration standpoint, you know, having a brand experience, you know, it builds loyalty. And if right. that brand experience, obviously, if the brand experience is a positive one, but and done, mm-hmm. done, done well, um, you know, it, it can build that loyalty. And then that loyalty, you know, gets you the ever- you know, holy grail of, you know, word of mouth and things of that nature. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in it. I, you know, we started the company um, because because of, you know, a number of reasons, but that's at the forefront that we just, you know, that that's an important uh, part of, uh, you know, moving brands and, and uh, you know, creating experiences. And, that, and we that's what we love to do. And that's the core of your business right now, right? You got brand activation, mobile tours, event marketing, hospitality, and you work with some some pretty great brands benefit yeah, stars um, Gillette. Yeah. Yeah. We've been fortunate. I mean, we, um, you know, we grew up in, you know, the business and have, have known uh, a lot of people and we've really relied on our, our networking um, to drive a lot of those relationships, but also uh, had great agency partners that we work with too. Uh, sometimes we come in as a resource for other agencies that help us uh, and we help them. But uh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, you know, full service brand activation, experiential marketing agency. Um, and, and we really focus on, um, you know, those, you know, strategy, experiential activation. And, and uh, we do have a hospitality uh, vertical that, that we do, you know, ticketing and things of that nature for, uh, you know, corporate entertainment at uh, the masters and things of that nature. But our, our core, you know, going back to our street ball days or, you know, mobile tours, you know, putting your brand on the road and then also uh, really being able to be kind of a nimble, um, 
you know, efficient agency model, which I think is is our differentiator. Uh, it's really two things we we kind of tout out there is our our ability to give you you know 40 plus years of uh, thought leadership in every program, but in a much more efficient model. Um, and I think that's very important this day and age. And I think um, you know time and efficiency, both from a cost standpoint, but more importantly from a time standpoint is is paramount uh, given um, you know a lot of the short time frames that we face but uh, you know ideally we we'd like to be in through the whole process right from sitting down in that conference room and come up and and strategizing a, a business driving strategy all the way through to execution that's that's really where we where we shine what projects are you guys working on right now we are finishing up uh, a tour with uh, Truth, which is an anti-smoking campaign. It just just finished up uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, we work with Truth throughout the year. Uh, they are a client of ours. Uh, we just finished up a uh, program with the Golf Channel uh, for an event here at uh, in Atlanta, the East Lake Cup, and. Um, Again, working with some other clients on some hospitality around uh, college football playoffs and uh, really kind of gearing up for, for uh, first quarter of uh, 18. But, uh, yeah, a little quiet right this second, but uh, a lot of stuff in, uh, in production and in the hopper for 18. So talk a little bit about – let me just take a step back for a second. So a company like Truth, right, anti-smoking campaign. Is it a mobile tour where you're taking an RV and wrapping it and hitting different spots that festivals and fairs and data capture? Is that is that kind of the program with that one? Or yeah, I mean, for truth, it's uh, you know their their goal, their main goal is to eradicate smoking and uh, you know where 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 it starts and you know young kids. Um, their strategy is to sponsor um, music events or music festivals or tours. So the big one that they do every summer is the Vans Warp Tour, uh, and then they also do um, are sponsors of a tour called High School Nation, which happens both in the spring and the fall. Um, the High School Nation tour, you know, number of number of uh, emerging artists come to your high school basically, and you get out maybe an hour early and go out to the football field, and suddenly there's a full blown concert going on with you know a number of brands that are activating. Yeah, we um, we handle all their fleet operations, logistics, drivers. Uh, work with them on activation. Um, for them, it's um, you know kind of a passive brand sell to uh, not really hit people over the heads on site and kind of just engage them in a fun activity and then subtly you know discuss the you know the the negativity of you know smoking and how that you know how that can affect uh, everything in your life, but. Uh, the activation is great. Uh, we have five um, custom uh, bread trucks that we're customizing the mobile DJ booths. So basically, uh, the side opens up and it's a full-on DJ spinning spinning music. Um, and we've got an activation team that's out there doing like kind of fun, fun like festival games. Um, you know, getting kids to participate. You know, giving out some um, premiums, things of that nature, and. Uh, um, so yeah, it's real, you know, and that's that's a tour. I mean, they're you know, our driver drivers are following a music tour. So you know, one day they're in Spokane, the next day they're in Vancouver, and you know, they're on the road. Um, 
So that's, you know, that's definitely a mobile, a mobile marketing tour. And if you're coming out, I mean, the, the theme of what you're talking about, kind of how we both came up through the business was, you know, um, really being on tour and there's no greater place. I know that kids come out of school and you get romantic about working for your favorite team that you're passionate about or for the NFL or for a league, but the amount that you're going to learn working on these tours and working from the agency side, I think is so much more valuable because you get to do so many different types of projects. Absolutely. Uh, I can't agree with you more. I mean, you know, imagine, you know, being out of school and suddenly, you know, you're experiencing, you know, almost every major, I mean, I've been to every major city in the U S and Canada numerous, numerous times. And, and I couldn't have done that without being on tour. It, it, you know, it makes you grow up a little quicker, but it also, um, exposes you to so many different people and so many different cultures and so many different um you know brands and experiences and you know one you know I, I some wonderful wonderful stories of of things i've done you know while on tour with uh breakout um both from a you know personal standpoint and from a a business standpoint and it you know it allowed me to learn the business but also open up my eyes to a number of different things in the business that, you know, maybe I wanted to gravitate towards um, versus just being at, you know, one place, you know, you know, not certainly nothing against working for teams or anything like that, but I just, no. I'm a proponent of getting out there, getting out of your comfort zone and, and, and experiencing, um, you know, the country and, and experiencing other, other places while you're getting paid to do it. I can't think of a, a better a better way to kind of learn and figure out what you want to do. And you always play the middleman for the most part too, because, you know, when you come from a league perspective, you're sitting on one side of the table and, you know, when you're trying to work with a brand or a property like this, you know, there's a different mindset that you have on, we need you to execute this for us, you know, and there's a certain type of, I don't know, um, expectation that's much, much different than when you're on the other side of the table. And from an agency perspective, because I've been on all, I guess, three sides from the league, from a team to the agency, to a media side of it. And I think when you become such a more round, rounded out professional is to number one, understand what the other side of the table is thinking and the position that you're in because of your experience you're so much more valuable to a brand because you already understand the expectations of what they need you to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when we, you know, I say this all the time when, you know, when we're working with a auto brand, we can come up with the greatest experiential or brand activation in the world. Um, but if it doesn't help them sell cars, then what's necessarily the point, right? Right. It doesn't matter. For us, for us, we we feel that driving a brand's business and figuring out what their pain points are and what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, it sounds it sounds fairly simple, but I can I can can't tell you the number of times that we've had conversations with with brands and with properties and with potential clients who. Um, miss that or or I say that to them and they're like, you know, thank you. And I'm like, well, what are you thanking me for? They're like, we don't usually get that. We usually 
or talk to about, you know, impressions and things of that nature. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, impressions and things of that nature. It's just our our mentality is to go in and obviously be a, a turnkey, you know, one-stop shop, but really get to know what your pain points are and what the business drivers are and work towards them. Because we like to say we want to make the conversation between the CMO and the CFO a nice one once the campaign's over because that CFO is going to look and ask the CMO, okay, well, you spent X. What did we get out of it? And, um, you know, th that's our job. Our job is to, is to roll up our sleeves, immerse ourselves in the brand, and put together a uh, campaign and a program that uh, is going to help them drive business. And that's what we feel is our strength, and that's what we feel – um, you know, the history of our, you know, of my career and our, our careers that, you know, the, you know, my leadership team is that's what we've done all our, our entire careers. So um, from a brand standpoint, I think that's most important. I mean, certainly, um, you know, executing a flawless campaign and certainly integrating, um, you know, great ideas and promotion and, and, you know, social media application are all part of that. But I just, I just feel that, you know, when we work with a new Belgium or a Tabasco or, or, you know, other brands that we've worked with, Gillette, you know, I mean, they're there, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we, you know, we're there to help them, um, you know, hopefully sell more product or at least put them in a position to, to do that and uh, help them with that. And that's what we always kind of keep in the back of our minds when we walk in, because um, what's the point? I had uh, J.W. Cannon on two weeks ago, and you may may have crossed over with him a little bit. I know he's an Atlanta guy. He's one of my really good friends, and uh, um, I actually followed him at Octagon uh, running uh, Home Depot's ESPN College game then. See what a small world this is? <laughs> it's a very small world because yeah. uh, um, you've mentioned two really good guys that I respect a lot, and yeah. uh, they're, you know I've seen them both. Um, literally within the last couple of weeks, and uh, I caught him as good friends of mine. Yeah, so it's good karma conversation we're having then. Absolutely. So, so I asked JW, I said, from your perspective at being at UPS and being the guy, I said, and I'm sure you got hit with tons of, you know, emails and requests with for your for sponsorship. I said, what was it that stood out? If I'm just a if I'm just a guy out there schlepping a property, I said, how how would you take a you know take the meeting? And he says, you know what what a lot of people fail to realize is that I have a job every day to execute some of the projects that we're working on, and that took up ninety percent of the time of my bandwidth. He says, but the things that stood out, the people that stood out, were the ones that did their homework, the ones that understood our business before they even walked in my door. You know, just just do some research and know that at UPS, his side of it, he goes, and I this shocked me. Um, he goes, you know, we weren't a business to consumer; we were B two B. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's how that's our business, and a good majority of our business, especially from a sponsorship side. He says, so the ones that understood that and kind of came in and and didn't really try to sell me a package, but let's customize something that could help my business. So I could, to your point, you know, so he could justify the spend. He goes, those are the ones I got the meeting. And it really didn't matter who it was, just as long as they kind of came in 
and did their due diligence before he, they sat down with me because he goes, I didn't have time to go for a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know, because I got 15 right. minutes for you. That was it, you know. And um, so, you know, it's just interesting. I don't think you get that, you know, um, perspective a lot of times when you're just sitting there and you're 26, 27 year old who's now biz dev for a team X and you're, I got a call. I see, you know, JW, he's all, he, JW's, you know, he's all over the sports business journal. So let me, let me reach out to this guy on LinkedIn and try to get a meeting and boom, you, you, you won't get a response. But right. when, you, when you have experience like you do and the, the kind of coming up through how we we you automatically understand how that whole thing works, but you just, it takes time to learn that. So, um, and this, and this is going to segue into my, my last question. What is it that you find today with the massive amount of people, career seekers, that dream job seeker coming out in the sport with a sports management degree that's fresh off the press, that's looking for a job in the industry? What are the skill set that you see today um, that are the most, you know, valued and brings the most value to an agency or a team or a league? You know, we talked about a little earlier, right, about connecting. And yeah. I think the, the definition of connecting to me is, you know, getting, getting to know someone and, and meeting them and being able to, you know, speak to them face to face. Um, you know, personality, it goes a long way. Um, you know, I was at a networking event last, last week and had a young, young gentleman come up to me and, and, you know, was, uh, you know, was personable and, you know, explained to me, you know, kind of what he was, you know, was interested in me and, and talking about what, you know, just ask the right questions. And, you know, I've always been a proponent that, um, you know, when I was in that position, um, I always wanted people to treat me, um, you know, well, and not all of them did. And I always said to myself that when I got to a certain point in my career that I would always try to help as much as I can folks that um, were looking for it. So I think from a skill set standpoint, um, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I got up, you know, just got out of college. I knew I wanted to do something in sports and business and I didn't know exactly what that meant. So I went on tour and I did all these things and really kind of found out what I thought I was good at and, and enjoyed. Um, so, I, you know, I think obviously trying to find that and, you know, getting out of your comfort zone is, is certainly important, but communication, but like communication, that's not a click. You know what I mean? A communication to me, um, you know, learning how learning and, and, and being, um, confident in, in yourself is goes a long way. Uh, you know, it, it sounds simple, but I don't see it a lot. I, I don't, you know, I get a lot of emails and I get a lot of, folks that reach out to me that are younger, that are looking to break into the industry. And, you know, I'm happy to find some time and probably, you know, um, I'll, I'll probably give a little bit more time than JW with me, but uh, I, you know, I'm happy to talk to folks, but they've got to put a little bit of an effort in and not just do the minimum. You know, I think um, if I could segue for one second, one of, one of the, one of my pet peeves on LinkedIn per se is when someone wants to connect with me, they just hit the automatic, hey, I want to connect with you. And there's no, you know, they don't tell me why. And LinkedIn actually has a, a 
you know, a note there that says, you know, leave a note on why you'd want to connect with him. It, it garners more, you know, interest. And, and I can't tell you, it's one hand the amount of people that actually say, hey, I, you know, noticed your website is an industry I'm trying to get into. Looks like you've got a great, you know, history. I'd love to grab five minutes or connect with you on LinkedIn. Now, that gentleman who I mentioned in the networking event, he did. And he actually, you know, I wasn't the only one he spoke to, and he reminded me, and he reached back out, and I'm happy to help him at the very least, you know, um, you know, have access to my connections and see if I can help him. So, long-winded answer is is really that it's it's connecting and, and communicating um, outside of the keyboard or the uh, smartphone. Mm-hmm. Excellent. It's it's sort of like I use this example if if you're going to reach out to somebody leave them a message, you know, you don't just call somebody and and hang up somebody that you want to talk to. You leave a message. It's the same thing on LinkedIn. You're reaching out to somebody. They're obviously not answering you right away. So leave a message, tell them, you but you're doing it, you know, you're doing it in a DM style. And, you know, so I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's, 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 it's a great advice. So how do people get a hold of you, Mike? So inertiapartners.com is our, our website, um, phone number, um, email, any, any one of those three, uh, phone calls are, are, are fine. Um, emails are great, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we are, uh, like I said, we're here in Atlanta, but we, uh, you know, we do events and programs all around the country. Um, and so we have that scale and that ability to do that. So, uh, yeah, I would love to talk to anyone um, and listen to any sort of uh, challenges folks have and see if we can be of service to to help them uh, activate their brands and uh, drive business for them. S-Y-N-E-R-T-I-A partners.com is the website. It's a great website, and I told you that before. I think it, it jumps out at you. It tells a great story. you got a great crew and the resources behind it. You know, I think anybody out there that needs and is looking for a, can I say boutique shop? Sure. Yeah, yeah we're good with that. Yeah, yeah boutique, boutique. Nimble. Um, yeah, sure. scrappy. A scrappy um, group that, you know, forget. Sometimes people could hide behind a website, but when you look at the experience of, you know, yourself and is it David, your partner? Yep. Yeah, just the experience alone um, is reason for anybody out there that has a brand or or a property that that is looking for grassroots experiential activation um, that knows what they're doing. I mean, you guys are right there. You know, you guys are there. So um, all the best to you, buddy. And, um, you know, thanks for taking the time to talk to me and share your stories and you know, at least we have that one thing in common with Terry Murphy and hoop it up and, you know, it's always a good thing with Doug and JW. So um, I'm glad that it took us 30 years to finally connect. (laughs) Yeah, no, I really appreciate it, Rob. Thanks for the, uh, you know, the platform, the opportunity to, to um, talk to folks out there and, um, you know, tell a little bit about ourselves and, and, and our agency and uh, certainly appreciate everything you're doing. And, uh, I will say hi to Doug and JW for you. Oh, you better, mister. You better. So hang on for a second. Um, Let me just close it up. This is Rob Thompson. 
You're listening to Interview with Influencers. This was a great one. Lots of information in it. Stay tuned next week. We have Brandon Steiner coming on and Grant Cardone. Thanks again, everybody. Goodbye.